Welcome to the Higher Potential Living Podcast, where we discuss improving quality of life by exploring mind, body, and spirit through a mindful lens. Here's your host, Jason Marichello. Hello and welcome everyone to another episode of Higher Potential Living Podcast. On today's episode, I am joined by Noah Ramsamy, and Noah has agreed to come on the podcast and share with us his story. Noah is a transgender man, and in this episode, he shares with us the journey of discovering that about himself. Um, I learned a lot about the effects of testosterone, and there was just so much in this episode that really stood for what we're trying to get across here in the Higher Potential Living podcast. And that's the idea that, you know, we all maybe have different walks of life, but we have a couple essential things that that bind us together. And that is that we are all looking for love and we're all looking for acceptance. And that many of us have struggle in our life and maybe it is manifesting in different ways and maybe the things that cause those struggles are different. But ultimately, if we can recognize that we're all human beings just trying to get through this world, that we can cultivate a little bit more compassion. So I hope you enjoy this episode. I know I enjoyed recording it. All right. Well, thanks for tuning in, everyone. On today's episode, I have Noah Ram Sammy. And uh, Noah, I'm, I'm really excited to do this podcast episode. Um, I meet so many amazing people through the climbing community. And it's almost like as rewarding as the climbing itself and the people that you kind of meet along the way. And uh, I just I'm, I'm so happy that you agreed to have this conversation and the previous conversations that we've all had. But today, we're going to talk about what it's like to be a trans man. And um, I guess my first question is just going to be around, you know, at Cause you're, you're, how old are you right now? Um, right now I always forget this, but I'm 20 years old right now. I told you I wasn't going to like throw any gotcha questions at you, <laughs> but I just threw you on the spot right off the get go. So, um, how long ago did you start kind of like recognizing that you just didn't feel, I, I you didn't feel like a, a little girl or whatever age you were when you started identifying? Mm-hmm. Um, many people are, are surprised when I tell them that even my transition didn't start too long ago. Um, really, I started questioning my gender identity around the age, like towards the end of my high school years. So, and it's interesting because a lot of trans people, if like, just from, from my own experience talking to them, they'll say they knew, like, as soon as like, when they were like a, like a toddler, they already knew they were trans for me. I was just super oblivious, had no idea. Um, but I really started questioning it around high school. And I think part of the reason why it took me so long to even start exploring that aspect of identity was because I had no idea there was a word called transgender. Like I didn't even know it was a thing that existed or it's a thing you could even be. So I think if you don't know that there's a terminology for what you're feeling, it's kind of hard to attach, like, I guess to really identify that, oh, this is something that's unique. And it's something that there are steps you could take to actually seek help or support for that sort of thing. Well, I think it's so interesting about how many elements of our lives we don't talk about. And so often we'll either just assume, well, I'm the only one, I'm going to stay quiet about it. Or, well, if nobody's talking about it, I'm just going to assume this is normal and that 
everybody feels a little bit, you know, out of sorts when they are experiencing X, Y, and Z. So for you, without, I guess, knowing about this concept of, of trans identity, how did that kind of like first start coming to be for you? Yeah, um, it's, it's funny you said that actually, because I thought the exact same two things. I thought either I'm the only one feeling this way or either everyone feels this way mm. and no one talks about it. And I thought, okay, cool. No one's going to talk about it. But for me, I started to understand that I was transgender after I initially came out as gay. So I think I, maybe I was like 16 or so, I identified as being a gay woman. Mm -hmm. um, and there were several like times during that, like during me assigning myself that label where there were like obvious clues as to that as to the fact that I was transgender and not actually gay. For example, I would never use the word lesbian to describe myself because I just thought that felt so wrong and just weird, right? Mm. I would only use the word gay. And like looking back, I thought, I'm thinking now it's like, because gay was something that, a word that could be associated to anyone who had same-sex attraction, whereas lesbian was more so associated with women. And that's probably why I wasn't okay with calling myself a lesbian, right? It's like your subconscious um, mind knew something that you quite hadn't clicked into oh yeah of course it, my subconscious mind knew for a while um in fact i didn't even come out as gay like or accept it as accepted to myself first i actually had a friend sit me down one day at her house and she said like no you you know you're gay right and i just started shaking and crying and i was like no I, i'm not gay at all and mm. i think if you're starting to cry when someone calls you gay you you probably have a lot of exploring to do because that's a pretty big reaction um but uh thankfully i did have someone who would like i had a group of friends in high school who were all who are all part of the lgbtq plus community and they helped me first come to terms with what i thought was my sexuality and eventually later on i realized that it's a, something that had to do with my gender identity mm -hmm. and after that actually it's interesting because I didn't right away label myself as a transgender guy. I labeled myself as non-binary instead. Mm -hmm. um, and I think I mentioned this to you before, but it's like the, even like being associating the word, the word man with myself or anything that was typically used to describe men, such as words like handsome or using he, him pronouns, all of that felt completely wrong for me. Like mm. there was a large, like, one or two years in my life where I thought like if someone accidentally called me that it just felt really really wrong and that's that was a period of my life where I identified as non-binary because it's like if someone used he him pronouns or someone said oh you're very handsome or things like that my mind was just like nope that's wrong that's definitely not me so it's weird because I'm sitting here today and those are exactly the pronouns that I use right and that's exactly how I feel about myself now. Well I think there's so much to be said about societal conditioning right like you we can't escape what we see all around us what pops up on our phones on our computers on our television and if you because you know being 16 that's 16 years of your life that you've been basically told your identity that either all those around you maybe the way that you were dressed the way that people pinched your cheeks when you were young and like all this kind of stuff like there's so much about the way even other people address you and treat you that gets conditioned and, and goes into that brainwashing. So now all of a sudden to kind of like struggle with, you know, strip all that away. And what do I actually feel inside? 
that's huge. That's huge for anybody. Not to mention when you're in that age bracket, right? Like you're talking 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. Like that's just a extremely challenging age for anyone. Like, I don't know if we've gone into this, but I've certainly talked about it on the podcast. Like I do some work in suicide intervention and that age bracket right there for a period of my life was the majority of the people I was seeing. There's so many questions that are coming up at that point as to, you know, what is it like to transition out of being, you know, what people would say like a child into an adult? What are you going to do for income? What are you going to do for a job? What are you going to do, you know, for the rest of your life? And all these heavy, heavy questions. And then at the same time, you're having to ask yourself, you know, do I even know who I am right now? So to be fair, you had a lot going on. Yeah. um, And it's interesting you mentioned that too, because it's like, even I had my own struggles, like I think around the age 12-ish or 13 with self-harm issues and things like mm-hmm. that. So it's definitely like one of those age, it's like that age group where there's a lot going on and I guess not a lot of information that you need that could really help you. Um, yeah. But even like a lot of like, like self-harm with myself at least was associated with me feeling like disconnected from my body, but also not knowing that that was something that was related to gender. To mm-hmm. me, it's just like, big a big like question mark I had no idea like why I felt this disconnection but at the end of the day it's like you're just confused and you're very young like you touched on right so you don't know much well this is a big piece of why I wanted to have this conversation on this podcast because the whole idea of like higher potential living when I created this podcast in the beginning a lot of the subjects I thought okay yeah there's some universal subjects but one of the big things no matter who you are no matter what walk of life is that self-realization like in mindfulness meditation we often use the word enlightenment and that's a really heavy word but one of the other translations from sanskrit is just self-realization like the path of this life and in many of the traditions that i've followed the path is to learn about who you are it's not like the goal of life when we're talking about the ancient vedic texts and all this kind of stuff is not to make a whole bunch of money and to leave a legacy or any of this kind of stuff. It is to essentially, no matter who you are, the first chapter of our life, the young chapter of our life, we're going to get traumatized in some way, shape or form. You can have the best parents in the world trying to do their very best. You're going to get traumatized. Micro traumas, macro traumas, whatever it is, it's there. And then we spend the rest of our life untangling and working all of that out to just figure out who we are and try to leave this plane, leave this life as identified and connected and loving to ourself as possible. So this totally falls within this. And I love that in this season, um, we're identifying more this idea of how it's different, how pursuing that higher potential living is different for every individual. So going from identifying as a a gay woman to a non-binary person to eventually, like how did that process how did yeah. you finally take that step into the world of trans? Um, I think that actually connects back to what you're saying about self-realization, which is such like an important part of, of everyday life. And what's it? Socrates said the unexamined life is not worth living. And I kind of like with myself, just think back and forth between, oh, ignorance is bliss. And then yeah. actually then trying to discover and learn more and realize more. And it's like, if you if I'm living right now, I might as well try and figure out more about myself. And when I talk to people about my transition, it's interesting because people talk about it in a way 
that assumes it sort of stops at a point. Mm-hmm. It stops and then they say, yeah, so now you transition and now you're going to go and live a normal life, right? And I understand what they mean by that. They mean that, oh, I started testosterone now. Now I physically appear to be a man. And now I've had surgery, right? And now I could go live a normal life. Um, for me, I don't see it that way at all because I started thinking about gender in a way that's an ongoing journey throughout my entire life. And I don't think that gender is something that will ever reach a point or a finish line, really, because it's like, it's a concept that you could continue to explore and continue to learn more about yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, even the concept of, for example, detransitioning is something that even a lot of trans people have associated negative stigma with detransitioning. But for me, it's like, it's like, I may see myself as this right now. And if my identity or my view of myself changes in the future, I'm going to accept it and recognize that that's okay, right? Because like you mentioned, it's like you're continuously realizing more about yourself. And that's how I went from identifying as a gay woman to non-binary and eventually as a transgender man, because there's no timeline for that realization. It's going to be happening for the rest of your life when you're consciously trying to explore and learn more about yourself, right? It might change in the future, a few days from now, a few months from now, but for now, it's like, I'm content with who I perceive myself to be. It's really interesting um, to even hear about, so, you know, like Eckhart Tolle talks about the pain body and how, you know, misery loves company in a lot of different cases and how oftentimes, even within the same communities, there's stigmas. And even within, like, I had a conversation with a, a friend of mine who identifies as a lesbian and she was explaining to me what a gold star lesbian was and how if you're not a gold star lesbian how you can be like frowned upon and all this kind of stuff and like i had no idea any of this kind of stuff existed for those listening apparently and correct me i know if you know more about this than i do but apparently a gold star lesbian would be someone a female that didn't have any interaction or sexual interaction with a man it's kind of like you're you know pure or something like that and it just blows my mind that that even within this idea of we want to be a community that's finally accepting um, you know, who we are and accepting of people who have gone through the struggle and all that, that there's still ways that we can find to segregate people and, and uh, you know, just kind of to show that there's something there about just how injured so many people are that makes us feel like we have to kind of gravitate towards and, and isolate and bring out more of that pain in each other. But one of the things you did mention, because I'm trying to keep a mental like timeline here as you also mentioned the hormones you mentioned testosterone so okay non-binary we're at what age roughly at this point uh 17 i would say okay so 17 non-binary processing what that means what that feels like for you going through that whole self-realization stage and then and then where are we um Really, this is funny because the whole realization and what I mark as the start of my transition was when I got my haircut, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, many people think, oh, yeah, you started your transition when you did your first testosterone injection. But for me, it's the haircut because that kind of that was the first like moment of my life where I consciously realized like I feel a huge pressure lifted off my chest. And I felt so euphoric regarding my gender because it's like the joy I felt was so different than any other joy that I ever had when I looked in my mirror after getting that haircut and the hairdresser warned me, he's like, 
he was very nervous to do it. And he said, you're going to look like a little boy after this. And I said, yeah, yeah, it's okay. Just do it. Right. And, but that feeling was like, it was a pretty bad haircut too, by the way, but to me that, (laughs) yeah, it, it wasn't the best, but it felt so right in a way that I finally felt connected to myself in a way that I never felt before. And so that, that really jumpstarted the process where I started to think maybe just because like, maybe, maybe it's like not a sexuality or sexual orientation thing. Maybe it's a gender thing, but the interesting, interesting thing is that after I got my haircut, I kind of went backwards a little bit where I started to present myself in an over overly feminine manner where I would wear more clothes that are seen as clothes for women and things like that. And I would present in a more feminine way, kind of to compensate for the fact that I got a stereotypically like man haircut or like Mm -hmm. boyish kind of haircut. And it was interesting because it's like, I took that one step to break out of the shell to get that haircut, which was a huge change for me. And then it shows that the process isn't necessarily like linear. It's not always in a straight line. It's like you go back a little bit and I did, and I overcompensated and dress more feminine which I wasn't comfortable with but at the time that's what you do and it's okay um and eventually the interesting thing is that that for me defining myself as a transgender guy came down to whether or not I wanted to take testosterone and that's because I put myself into the box of saying that in order to be a transgender guy you're going to start testosterone but you can't be a non-binary person who starts testosterone, which is so weird because at the end of the day, the only thing you need in order to tell you if you should start testosterone is like, doesn't matter what you identify as. It's more like, will you like what testosterone brings you, right? Mm. It doesn't matter if I identified as non-binary or if I identified as a transgender guy, if I wore a dress, I would still need to think like, what will testosterone do to my body? And will I like what it will do? And if the answer is yes, then it would be okay for me to start it and try it and see where it goes. Um, but I was constantly thinking about it. Do I start testosterone? Do I not? Asking all my friends from the community. But the one advice that really helped me was from my, at the time, my only cisgender heterosexual friend. And she said, yeah, I just started. And if you don't like it, then stop. And I was like, what? It was so simple and plain and easy. It never crossed my mind that I could just start it and then just stop. So, and that goes back to what you're saying about a lot of stigma within the own community, because a lot of transgender people said, don't start testosterone unless you're a hundred percent sure. Um, because, because then you're being fake. If you're like, just want to try it out, you know, and, or, or you're stealing all the testosterone from the rest of us who are actually transgender. And it's weird because everyone told me I needed to be 110% sure, but looking back, it's kind of highly like improbable to think you're going to be a hundred percent sure about such a significant life-changing decision. And when I started testosterone, I was probably only like 60% sure if I'm being honest. And it's like people were telling you a certain thing, but at the end of the day, it's like everyone's going to want to put you in a box. And part of that self-realization is trying new things and realizing that it's okay if you make a mistake it's okay if you don't like the path that you put yourself on because it's not certain and you don't have to stick to one thing no matter what anyone else says right Mm -hmm. and now i before i'm pretty sure it was before we hit the record button but you were saying you're pretty much at the two-year mark now on testosterone for sure yeah and so now starting at 60 percent 
two years in, what percentage would we say that we're at now? Now I'm at a hundred percent. I didn't actually identify as a transgender man until the day after my first shot. Um, and for me is interesting, like mental reflection, because it's like the whole time, the whole idea that kept me from identifying as a transgender man was the idea that I didn't feel like a man because of the way I looked, right? Because of the way I seemed or the way I saw myself. But those are all societal things that are put in your head. And after I got my first shot, I thought, oh, it feels okay to call myself a man now, mm. which obviously I've been that person all along, but it took getting the injection for me to let myself feel like I could actually use this label for myself, which really just says like, like it had society had a lot of weight on that label, right? Well, it's really interesting to think about, and this is just coming to my mind now as like a cis hetero man, like how many times in my life even, you know, you'll get other men saying like, oh, you're not a real man. And, you know, like how often that comes up. And I can't even imagine, you know, having anything else to add that like doubt to that identity. Like I'm, I'm a short person, I'm five, four or something like that. And I've had other taller men tell me that I'm less of a man because of this, this, and this, and this. And there's so much toxic masculinity out there that puts such a, again, you use the word like box around the word man and what that means to be manly. Like I'm a vegan. I've been a vegan for 12 years there. I have, I had people that tell me I was less of a man because I don't eat red meat and drink beer and, you know, watch, I don't know, drag racing or something like that. (laughs) And it's just, it blows my mind how what we're talking about is gender identity, but what they're talking about is, I don't know. I can, I, it's my own podcast. I was about to say like, can I say like, I don't know, like, gorilla chest bearing bounding i don't like i picture two rams just butting their heads with all the ego that they can muster and uh it's it's just it's it just brings it so much more to the foreground about how we still we still have so much more work to do around breaking through some of these labels and just letting people be people like you mentioned that again before we kind of started to hit record about kind of how your own journey of identifying as gay and then non-binary and then trans like how does that process and even the idea of being 60 percent sure going into it and everything how does that process make you feel about the labels themselves yeah um first i just want to touch on the fact you mentioned drag racing and my mind immediately <laughs> went to drag race and like the art of drag so i guess that says a, a right. lot about i guess maybe the, the stereotypical man i am right I was like, oh interesting <laughs> um yeah, actually, if you don't mind, I want to ask like you, like, have because I was thinking this too when I was reflecting. I'm like, do cisgender people think like does it cross their mind? Like, do they ever think about their gender identity? Like, have mm. you thought about that? Yeah, no, for sure. I remember this sounds really silly, but there was a movie. Oh, what I think it was called In and Out or something. It was way back in I don't know the '90s maybe, and I think it was uh, Calvin Klein. And it was a movie about this, this man, he was a school teacher, everyone knew, apparently, but and let me say that this is putting, like, there's a lot of things wrong with this movie. It was in the 90s talking about a man coming out as gay, right? So there's a lot of things wrong with this movie. But um, in this movie, apparently, the whole community knew that he was gay, except for him. And 
So he went through, he found like this book on tape, basically put in his cassette player in it. It took him through the most ridiculous, like three-step process of identifying if you're gay. And it just basically played, I don't know, uh, Whitney Houston or something. And if you started <laughs> dancing, like, again, there's so many things wrong with this movie, but I remember being a young boy and like, wait, so you might not know. And like, this is all the stuff. So it was like, so how am I supposed to know? And then you start to, you wonder, and, uh, and especially, especially because like I grew up in, a European household. Um, I grew up in the construction industry. I was actually raised as a hunter, like all the things that you can think of that, like <laughs> you're shoved into manhood was what I was basically put into eating lots of meat, especially meat that you would kill yourself. You are more of a man. And then you build the house that you live in, you chop down your wood, you know, you wear your lumberjack jacket and all this kind of stuff that there was a fear there for me of like, oh my goodness, what if I do discover that I'm gay. And then I have to, you know, there was so much fear at one point in my life about that. And uh, then kind of coming through that side of the journey. So then when I started just embracing the fact that I'm not, I guess what we would consider what what that image would consider like the stereotypical male, like now, I wear like harem pants, I'm wearing like my scarves and stuff like that. And when I started doing that, that's when it was kind of like, okay, I don't care about that anymore. I still identify as a cis heterogender man, but I've recreated for me what it means to be a man. But yeah, there was definitely a lot. And I've talked to other um, people in that same boat, a lot of men in that same boat. I think in like kindergarten, I tried touching tongues with another guy to see if like that would like trigger something to let you know if you're gay or not. And uh, yeah, I appreciate the question because it's something mm -hmm. that I think is also there that a lot of people don't talk about because you hear about people knowing you hear about some people who knew at a really young age like oh yeah no I just I knew and then you hear about people who say that they didn't quite understand until they were in their you know teens or something because they just thought everyone felt that way or acted that way so I think it's a thing that at some point I don't know I'd be curious to just start feeling that question more that comes up and like how am I supposed to know? Yeah, well, I think the obvious answer, Jason, is you take an online test and, and the <laughs> internet will tell you, yeah. Because if course. I told, yeah, how many times do me and like all my friends would be like, search up like, am I gay online quiz? And I mean, <laughs> that's the obvious way to find it. It's funny Clearly, how you mentioned. Let, yeah. let some computer tell me the truth about my identity. Of course. Um, <laughs> and even like you talked about, um, like the whole, like what it means to be a man or, it's like it's so interesting to see like the difference between like sex versus gender versus gender expression versus mm. sexual orientation because it's like even though you said like you identify as like cisgender man it's like how you express yourself right or maybe i guess maybe like present maybe might not be the stereotypical view what it means to be a man and that's something that i learned throughout my transition too because at the point where I'm at now, which is two years on testosterone and a few months since I've had top surgery, I find it a lot easier for myself to embrace more feminine aspects of who I am. Mm. Like if I were to wear something that's more feminine now, I would feel a lot more comfortable as compared to me wearing that when I was three months on testosterone and still looked a little bit like myself before. And I realized it too, kind of in my head, it seemed like a social experiment, but on days when I had where I was feeling very disconnected from my body. And I was like, maybe like one or two or three months on testosterone. If I were, if I wore like 
the same outfit like four days in a row, really baggy jeans, really baggy sweater, um, laughed at stupid jokes. People would always perceive me to be a guy in public. And like, I didn't use manners and things like that. But then my typical self, I like use manners, put a little bit more effort into what I was wearing, do my hair, and then people wouldn't perceive me to be a guy. And I found that so interesting because that says a lot, not about who I am, but how society or who society thinks men are. Right. So it's like if I dressed more sloppy, they'd assume I was a guy. And for me, that was so interesting because I'm like, oh, this feels like a social experiment. This is what you guys think a guy looks like. And also at the same time, it makes sense for us to think that way because that's all around us in society. And it's the way I think about it is that it's my job to unlearn that that's the idea of what a man is. So for now and the person I am today, I would be comfortable doing something that's not masculine, like maybe painting my nails or mm-hmm. wearing like, I had a friend put makeup on me recently. And that is something I never would have like dared to do before because it would have made me so uncomfortable because back then I still looked a bit feminine since it wasn't that long since I was on testosterone. But now I have this, this awesome beard trying to grow it out to look like yours, right. this mustache going on. So it's like, I feel very masculine and I feel more importantly, I feel like myself and I'm more comfortable in my identity. So if I were to wear makeup, it would feel more of a comfortable thing for me to do because it's like, that's the idea of like, I guess, expression of my gender, but it doesn't change what my gender identity actually is. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. And you know, I think you, you, you nailed it there with that feeling comfortable in yourself because even, even for me, I own a yoga studio um, before, or I think it was during when we first went into lockdown, I was trying to move some of like the retail and I thought it would be great to do a fashion show just online. So like, I don't think we own anything that's actually geared towards men. There's unisex clothing here and then there's women's clothing here. And so I just set up a tripod and I just live streamed quick changing. I had a little thing like set up where I was putting on all the clothes, doing my own little like, uh, I guess drag show in, in the clothes <laughs> and my dad saw it online and he's like, you know, that like your family could see that, right? Like your cousins and your aunts are all on like, uh-huh. All right. Well, as long as you know, I guess kind of thing, right. Which would have been a huge difference um, from, you know, quite a few years ago before I started wearing all the harem pants and like all this kind of stuff. But uh, there's still this like, oh my goodness, everyone's going to see him doing this kind of stuff, but to feel good enough in your own skin to be like, and okay, so what's going to happen? Like when even my, my wife and I, because uh, of the first episode of this season, when we came out as fully being uh, polyamorous and even that like inside of that community, there's so much more of that fluidity and identity and, and just starting to drop labels in general because it tends to be things with multiple people happening at the same times and like all this kind of stuff so it's really interesting when just how freeing it can be to start to break away from some of the labels in general yeah i mean i the exact word came to my mind like freeing as well because it is a sort of freedom to like you're mentioning like do what you want wear what you want and regardless of people or regardless of what they say you'll be like oh okay right that's what you think that's what your perception of but at the end of the day who you are doesn't change and again with like the labels it's like I had I think the first person who I came out to that was like an adult was my um high school librarian and I like went up to her in the morning impulsively told her I was gay and then and then like in typical Noah fashion started crying 
even though I didn't expect it and all that. But she was t- she had a talk with me later on, and she said that in the future she doesn't think that coming out will be a thing. She doesn't think that people who are like gay or transgender or from any part of any community will need to really come out as this or that because it will just be seen as like oh that's the norm right you are who you are you like who you like doesn't really Mm -hmm. it doesn't need to be like significant enough that you put a label on it that being said I do understand like having labels is empowering for for some people but it's like the idea of like coming out not having to be a thing sounds pretty nice for the future because it's like at the end of the day it's like you are who you are and whenever you figure it out to me it doesn't really matter it doesn't need to be on a strict timeline and it's crazy to hear or it's crazy for me to hear that even for yourself who who like you would get criticism for like doing that fashion show and all that right and it's like but you're so confident in your masculinity and like or just even in who you are where it's like it doesn't need to phase you right at the end of the day you're still Jason no matter what other people would think think of what you're doing right Mm -hmm. one of the most beautiful things I saw that gave me hope for breaking down some of that toxic masculine representation um this was a couple years ago i was at a sweat lodge and um you know the sweat lodge very small space there were 21 sweaty naked men in there and there was something going on at the time where it seemed like everyone was having relationship problems like we always do before we go into the sweat lodge we gather in a circle and we kind of talk a little bit about the theme um what's coming up for us and that was something that was coming up for so many of the men is like it's relationship time if you ask my wife probably like venus was in retrograde with something in conjunction of some other kind of thing i don't i don't know but that just seemed to be a thing that was happening and at one point we're in the sweat lodge and um there was this very large like built like an ox man who you could tell he was just having a really hard go like with his emotions and everything and one of the things that the heat does in the sweat lodge is it makes you feel uncomfortable to the point where just some of your natural barriers break down. So it opens you up to tapping into your emotions a lot more and, and to all that. You don't, you're not so caught up in your thought of like, I should do this, I shouldn't do this, because the heat just breaks that down. So in the middle of the sweat lodge, he just started sobbing. He just started sobbing about whatever this grief was that had to come out of his body. And at that point in time, he lied down in the center and then I was in the center and there was two other men in the center and we just held this man while he just let out these wailing sobs. And one person like just cradles his head ever like one man just cradled his head so gently. Um, the other man just put his hands on his heart and I was just like holding one of his hands, holding space for what was coming up there. And there was no laughing. There's no pointing. There was like every man in that sweat could just recognize their inner feminine their inner like wounded child and that's such a huge path on on like the tantric journey that i work with as well is recognizing that each of us no matter how we identity or identify or how society identifies us that we strive to be in balance of our masculine our feminine and that you know to achieve that full like yin yang we need both the masculine acts as a container but it needs the feminine energy to to give it its purpose to you know allow it to manifest anything into this world and this is so much of like this ancient practice but it's been just so buried down by years and years and years of that toxic masculine image so Mm -hmm. i i i too like your librarian i too uh 
foresee that one day this is definitely going to be a possibility for all of us. Yeah, for sure. I think that that moment sounds so like significant that you had with all those other men in that room. And it's like the idea, I guess it's a very nice idea to think that like when all of that breaks down and when it's so, like you said, uncomfortable in there, that when it comes down to it, he was okay with expressing who he was, right? After all the barriers were removed, it shows to me that it's like at the end of the day, all the humans who are in that room were connected and were there to support each other and love each other. And I guess like, it's not really like, oh, like that's what a man really is, but that's what a human really is. Yeah. Everyone there sounded they were so interconnected together like like the world almost right and they were being there to support each other i'm just like what more could you want than that as and it makes me think like all these things are so arbitrary like oh crying is for girls right it's like Mm -hmm. that's so arbitrary and then look at something that's so i guess so huge and important and like must have like meant a lot to that guy who was the first one who was lying down there and who was sobbing it must have really changed i guess his view on a lot of things too because it sounds so huge for him and just for everyone who's in the room. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. And I think, you know, when we boil it down, there's just the same hierarchy needs for every person, right? Like we want, yes, we need a shelter over our head. We need food in our belly and all this, but we want to feel accepted. We want to feel love. We want to feel loved. You know, there's just different ways that maybe we manifest that and different ways that we ask for it. But when you boil it down, everyone basically has the same basic building blocks and needs for this lifetime. And it just, it blows my mind how when you really boil down the most important things were that similar. And yet, instead of focusing on that, we just focus on the things that make us different. For sure. All right. Okay. Coming back into it. So <laughs> we're, we're still, we're in like your late teens at this point in time. I love the tangents. It's fantastic. So, um, as you were transitioning, like you started taking the testosterone. Uh, it was interesting because I've known you, I think, for about two-ish years. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I think I maybe knew you before the testosterone. I think you I think you did. I'm not really sure. Um, but then we ended up quickly going into like masks and stuff like that. So for me, your beard was a surprise. Like, I think you took your mask down at one point in time when we were climbing to take a drink of water. And I was like, Noah, you have facial hair. And you were like, I know, right? And like, it was, <laughs> it was an awesome moment there. But were there anything else? Like, does, does testosterone give you headaches? Like, was there, I don't know. Like, I, I know uh, my wife is huge in tracking like everything. She wakes up every morning and takes her temperature to be able to track her cycle that much more closely and know when she's this, that, and the other thing. So she's always talking about how, oh yeah, I feel like my progesterone levels are higher than my estrogen. Like, I I don't know. She can identify that just from like a zit coming out on her (laughs) eyebrow or something like that. So like, did you notice, was there, was there anything that other than the facial hair that was like causing any big changes to you to make you see like, yeah, this is something. I mean, yeah, like first, like good, good for your wife that she's like very on that and like tracking all that because I, I did like, I have like a little journal and like, I kept track of like the changes that would happen. Um, and I like keep note of that. I took many videos of my voice changing as well, because Mm. that was a very, very important thing for me that I really like really needed because it's like, 
it's like for me that made me feel very affirmed in my gender and having because I think I now thinking back I did know you before my transition or before my medical and transition but my voice was very high pitched like very like I guess like stereotypically feminine and all that so having a lower voice was really something I needed but yeah some of the changes that testosterone brought I think the first thing that I felt that I knew I was going to feel was hot flashes which was kind of crazy um my doctor compared it to menopause in older women actually just funny but it's cuz like my testosterone was now more than my estrogen or was getting to be that point so i felt the hot flashes the first few months or so and apparently for like males or people who have testosterone in their body their temperature is higher than for females or for people who who have estrogen in their body and an interesting thing i learned too is i perceive pain differently now which I heard of from the doctor before starting testosterone but your perception of pain is different. I heard people say their perception of touch is different too because you develop a little bit more thickness in the skin. Hmm. Um but yeah, perception of pain is really interesting and even yeah, I didn't really know that either and then I I heard from the doctors and I thought oh that's ridiculous and then I felt it myself. Um and then another weird thing is it's genuinely harder to cry. which i thought was like this whole like societal thing like oh boys don't cry but then there's an actual biological factor to it where it's harder for people with testosterone in their body to cry and i i don't know i heard somewhere from someone that it's something to do with the tear ducts but then again i get most of my information from reddit so i don't know how credible <laughs> that is but that's really interesting i'm going to look into yeah. that oh yeah for sure cuz there's actually a difference in like before it used to be a lot easier for me to cry and now sometimes i feel like i feel like crying's healthy for yourself so but i find myself literally forcing myself to cry and it's kind of a ridiculous thought but mm. like it's it is genuinely harder there's definitely some weird changes like that and the pain one as well um and some of the obvious ones are like for example oily skin um more body hair in general more facial hair voice lowering one of the changes i was mostly looking forward to is body fat redistribution so mm. for me it's like or for yeah the body fat redistribution essentially means that it moves from being in the thighs and the butt area and more towards being in the abdomen region instead where it typically is for people who are like on testosterone so it moves to being in your abdomen instead which i know that one definitely gives people or makes them more comfortable in their body because even like having those curves even like pre mm. transition was very uncomfortable um but yeah and there's changes like i guess it an interesting change too it made my hair curly like my hair used to be pretty straight/wavy and it got really curly i heard that happens to some people on testosterone but i also thought that's so weird that's not going to happen to me but it did that not sure why um and yeah but back to like more the obvious ones more broad upper body um depending on how young you started you can grow taller as well so i think if you haven't yeah if you haven't reached past like a certain age or so it's like while you're still growing and still developing you can actually grow taller a good thing that they do is is that for some younger people who are questioning like transitioning and things like that rather than making the decision right there and then um you can be put on puberty blockers which is something that actually kind of impedes the hormones that are naturally existing in your body so for me it would have been estrogen and it kind of just like stops or like somehow impedes that effective estrogen mm-hmm. therefore you won't be experiencing 
those changes that estrogen would give you during puberty. And it said it gives you a while to kind of figure out, yeah, and like age a little bit, figure out if you truly want to go through with testosterone. That's really helpful because like going through puberty is, was a very hard time for me, especially, but for like any transgender person or anyone in general, really. So it kind of stops those effects. So I think even for transgender women, they are put, I think some of them are put on hormone blockers just to stop the effects of the testosterone in their bodies. Cause it's like, if you want to prevent what those can give you, like, which a lot of trans people do, then it's nice to have that option. So you don't get that. Like, I guess another thing too, oh, another thing I want to mention too, with the effect of testosterone, it does reduce breast tissue, which is interesting because I didn't think that was possible, but testosterone does that. Um, and it does, I guess, like I mentioned the body fat redistribution, but it also, it does stop for some people it does stop their period so that cycle does end for a lot of people but not all as well and i think those are mostly the common ones that i touched on i can't think of any more right now but does it do anything to like muscle oh yeah for sure so it does increase your muscle mass a lot and pretty pretty quickly as well which is pretty awesome i mean you're probably wondering how i got to be such a good rock climber and yeah, right. that's probably in, in such a short amount of time that's why <laughs> <laughs> I just thought it was hard work and dedication. <laughs> no, no way. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you're making me think that at, at some point I, um, I need to do a podcast episode too with a, a trans woman to kind of just like get an idea of like, you know, some of the differences as well. But I'm curious about going through the transition. How open were you in the process of it? And how was it kind of accepted by your community? Like your yes. family, your friends. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> that's a really important question. It's um, for me, it was really hard to to kind of be open with it and to talk about it because growing up, I was a really reserved and shy like kid. So it wasn't definitely wasn't in my nature to like talk about this thing and be open with such an emotional thing to even my parents and to my friends and all that. But when I eventually did come out, it kind of like similar to like what you're saying in the sweat lodge but also different it's like when it comes down to like all the pain and like the distress you're facing it's like you kind of have no choice but to express yourself right and to to me it's like I hit a point where I was living in too much pain and I felt too miserable and too much distress and too much disconnection from who I was where it's like this is my life and at some point I have to make that change so I could live a life that's authentic and that's fulfilling for myself so I hit that point and I confided in my parents and my friends and my friends at that time were mostly from the LGBTQ plus community so they were all obviously very supportive um, but my parents I was very unsure of I knew for for a fact my mom was going to be exceptionally like supportive and there for me I knew that for my dad I kind of questioned it a little bit but I came out one morning randomly impulsively and I told both of them and my dad just said, all right. And then he gave me a hug and he said, what do you want for breakfast? And so it went pretty good. Mm -hmm. um, and then I don't think he really processed it, processed it. So the day after I told him and we talked about it more and I was just met with unconditional love from my parents, which meant a lot to me because I don't know how I would have reacted if it wasn't that. And it's sad to say that the case for so many trans people is that 
they're not met with such a supportive and accepting reaction. And I can't even imagine how hard it is emotionally to deal with that. But my parents were very supportive. And even when I eventually told them, it's like, hey, like I'm questioning my gender. I don't really know who I am or what I identify. I think I might be a guy, but I'm not really sure. They were there for me during that as well. And that time it didn't really feel like coming out. It just felt like this is a discussion. And I'm just letting you guys know because I know you're here to support me. Um, but I had really good support from my parents and my mom, especially. She is still my main like support system and the best person ever in my life to like have by my side in all aspects of this. And she is very good at teaching me how to, I guess, be aware of the present moment and to really accept everything that's in front of me and recognize what I'm feeling, right? And know that whatever I'm feeling is okay. But she went through all this research and she found like a therapist who I could talk to about like gender and things like that. Um, that, that therapist didn't go so well. He was really bad at his job, actually. <laughs> yeah, he actually, he, he was really bad. He was like specifically like for people part of the LGBTQ plus community. Mm-hmm. And like I walked in and he's like, yeah, he's like, you look like a little girl playing dress up in her dad's closet. Wow. And I was like one aren't you like a like you're like a licensed like therapist like how are you saying this too right. um he was he was a part of the community as well so i was like that's so weird you think that there yeah. would be some more sensitivity i know but he yeah. he was definitely a part of my process because he kind of made me so uncomfortable to the point where i realized i'm transgender because he would make comments like that and i'm like oh my goodness that's so weird right um and he would say like yeah like a lot of my trends like clients they look very masculine you on the other hand don't and i'm like that's straight up insulting me oh my goodness so what you're saying is he's either really 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 bad Mm -hmm. or like a genius yeah i mean (laughs) it worked at the end of the day i mean after like i was like oh maybe i am transgender because this is so uncomfortable but yeah i mean it was all a process um an interesting thing too with my friends when i was questioning gender identity is that at the same time, even though I felt super supported and accepted, I felt very alone talking to them about it because at that time they were all questioning or like dealing with their, I guess like accepting their sexual orientation, but I was the only one who was questioning my gender identity. And that felt very different than sexuality at that time because it felt like for me, it's like I could potentially need like require medical, like, I guess, hormones and surgeries and things like that. And it did feel, I did feel pretty alone, even though I had the support and all that it's like, I felt like I was the only one. So it did help me to reach out to like more transgender people my age, because it did feel kind of scary. Cause it's like, I don't know what the long-term effects are of testosterone. Is that dangerous to my health in general? And now it's like, now I still am not a hundred percent sure. And obviously like the healthcare system isn't as educated as about transgender health as they should be. But for the point I'm at now, it's like, it's a risk I'm willing to take because in the moment I'm in, it's like, it's more fulfilling to live my life this way. Right. So where, where did you reach out to try to find these communities? Like, I guess the internet Um, support. Yeah. The internet for sure. Um, I went to some like, actually a lot of all this credit goes to my mom because I was very like in my own head, didn't want to do anything when I was first coming to terms with this. And I was very like, like kind of like miserable, confused. And she like went out of her way to do all this research and she found like community support groups and things like that. Mm. And so like, I'd go in person to a support group 
for people part of the LGBTQ plus community and that would help. And eventually when I went to post-secondary school, my mom told me to reach out to their LGBTQ plus center because she said they will have a way to figure out how you can get on testosterone. And I told my mom like, no, I don't want to do that. I don't even think I want to go on testosterone. And she's like, well, you might as well find out. I did that, right? And I talked to the people there. I eventually, and like to start testosterone, you need to get a diagnosis in Canada. Like you need to be diagnosed with gender dysphoria. So hmm. I talked to the doctor about it and the doctor was like, yeah, I'll have to go through like three sessions with you in order for her to, to diagnose me or to not diagnose me with this. And when I got the diagnosis, I still wasn't sure I wanted to start testosterone, but I just uh, decided to go with it. But it's an interesting process because the whole time I was just kind of following the steps, not really 100% sure where I wanted to go. It's also interesting that a diagnosis was required because it's like, mm. I don't know how, how they would know this, even if I didn't know it myself, but it was definitely a unique process to go through. And the fact that there's the possibility for someone to say no is the part yeah. that I find disturbing. That was definitely really scary and also helped me learn and point myself in the direction that I'm probably going to need testosterone because the fear in the back of my head that if she says no, what will I do? How will I feel? How will I move forward, right? What if I, I, will constantly, I will constantly be thinking, what if, right? Yeah. So the fact that I could have not gotten a diagnosis and not, been, not be where I am at today is definitely very scary. No kidding. Now, I was thinking about something because you were talking about how supportive your, your parents were. And before we got on the call, I think you said they came from Ghana or the background? Uh, Guyana. Guyana, right. So do you think that like just even being in Canada, having, you know, being people of color, that just being more understanding to not feeling like you, because that's, you know, that's something that is still very prevalent, even in Canada, being as multicultural as we are, that there's still like minority groups that have to, you know, go through the feeling of not fitting in or trying to fight for a voice and stuff like that. Do you think that that would have anything to do with like, just being that much more supportive? Um, yeah, I definitely think that had an effect on it. Um, like being like a person of color and like Guyanese background and all that. And also being transgender, like, first of all, felt like it felt like that was something that couldn't coexist like being a person of color and I guess being transgender or part of this community because the representation that was seen in the media, even though how small it was, it was typically not people who looked like me, right? Or not right. people from my background. But I guess for my parents, it's like my dad has definitely had the more traditional views and things like that. And he immigrated to this country much later on as compared to my mom. She immigrated mm -hmm. here when she was seven. So she did like obviously deal with the struggle of um, fitting in and she did experience racism and things like that. She grew mm. up in Winnipeg in a like predominantly like white area in Winnipeg and she faced like a lot of racism and things like that. But I think her acceptance and support came down to who she is as a person. And she is definitely like my life role model and like person who mm. I look up to the most because she teaches me everything I know, like even about mindfulness, which I was talking to you about before, because the main thing about her, is she's very open to learning. So I feel like even if she wouldn't have been immediately supportive, she's always someone who's trying to learn and practice.
just empathy and compassion for other people. And I think ultimately that's what led her to being, I guess, so accepting and supportive. And just like me, she had no idea what was going on and she didn't know much about what it, what transgender means. And she was worried for me and she's worried how people would treat me. But regardless of all that, she was able to put, I guess, like her own worries and fears aside. And I know some parents will confront you and be like, what will people think? Like, what will this? And it's like, that, that, does a lot of it's it comes from a good place but it does a lot of harm but she was more so like what support do you need and I'm here for you and things like that and that really helped me you know that's what made the big difference well if your mom listens to this way to go mom proud of you (laughs) I love that um I'm just looking at the time so I have a few more questions we're going to try to like put them in there. It's amazing how time flies on like awesome conversations like this. But one of the ones I was curious about, because, you know, especially I have conversations with my wife and, you know, I'm a, I'm a feminist and I, I see, you know, talking about again, that influence of toxic masculinity in this world and all this kind of stuff. I'm curious having, you know, gone through part of your teenage years, identifying as a woman and then transitioning and like you, to me look like, you look like a man. You have a very, very fine looking beard going on there. And <laughs> I love everyone a part of it. But was there any like bigger view changes that came to you having like walked a little bit in in both sides of the way society looks at you? Yeah, for sure. Um, and even like when I was touching earlier about like the and I would like write down in my little journal about the different like changes mm. in testosterone. It's like I realized my reflections at the first few months was all focused on the physical features. But later on, when I'm looking back and reading my reflections in the more recent months, they're more focused on abstract concepts of gender itself, because Mm -hmm. it's like I stopped really caring about the physical features. But now I'm thinking more of how do people see me? How are people reacting? How Mm -hmm. do I feel mentally? And yeah, like I, for example, like how I interact with people who identify as like women, it's so different. And I have to remind myself that I don't look like the person I look like before. Um, And I even talked to you about this where it's like, oh, if I'm talking to like, to like a girl, like let's say at school or whatever, and she might assume I'm hitting on her because I'm striking up a conversation and being super nice. But in my mind, it's like, that's who I am since since Mm. a kid. Like I've just always been more friends with girls and all like that. So in my mind, I'm just being super friendly and I want to make new friends, but I have to remember that how I present now is different than how I presented before. And it's certainly interesting. And even like talking to, to guys too is interesting as well, because people will say like a homophobic or transphobic comment and expect me to laugh mm. while not actually knowing who I am. Right. Right. Because yeah. some people, if they just meet me, they obviously won't know I'm transgender. So it's interesting to see that too, because it's like the things people don't know versus what they do. Um, An interesting thing, too, is people who know I'm transgender, like family members and things like that, still treat me differently since I transitioned. And I think it's something that happens unconsciously. But with the appearance of like a guy, like if I go to a relative's house and people are taking out food and I go to the kitchen to help people take out food, they'd be like, no, 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 go sit down. You don't need to help. But there'll Mm -hmm. be a bunch of like girls in the kitchen helping. And I'll be like, that's weird because few years ago I would be the one doing that right so it's like even though they consciously know about my past and all that it's like still the view of who I am it's different but 
yeah and another thing i want to touch on too if you don't mind really quickly yeah i just want to talk about just also there's an importance in realizing the difference between how i'm perceived now and i heard a transgender guy once say something so important where it's like he went from being a girl who would walk home at night constantly fearing for her safety and fearing that she might be attacked and now since he's transitioning and he's perceived to be more of a guy who he is when he's walking home at night and he sees a girl on one side of the street he will cross to to the other side so he's not walking directly behind her because he knows what it feels like to be scared that you might be attacked that your life is in danger and having that knowledge of what it feels like to live as a woman in society and to fear like the danger and things that happen to women it's like that knowledge is something that's really important to me because it's like that's what i personally can do to create a more safer place for women in this world yeah no that's powerful and i think you know before we hit record again you were even talking about you know that's i guess one form of the power that it kind of feels but you mentioned something about feeling more power in society and i was wondering if you could elaborate on that because i was curious if you were talking about um you know feeling again some of those like i guess on the smallest version of it that idea of like oh no no you're you don't have to go and get stuff out of the kitchen and all that kind of stuff but almost like that stuff that we talk about when we talk about the patriarchy like are you feeling that imbued upon you at, at that stage as well yeah i mean i would definitely say like there is the systemic power that like i do feel at times but the main i guess comparison or like relation i have to feeling that power for me is within a school environment where i went from doing group work when i was presenting as a girl and constantly being cut off and my 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 opinions were never considered and even when they were right no one remembered like that no one remembered what i said and what i said was never important right mm -hmm. and and now i could say like the most stupid thing and people will be like yeah yeah like that makes sense that's very thanks right and yeah. like in group work and all that and it's interesting because i never would have thought of this before if i hadn't lived the life that i that i live as a transgender person and on my bad days i don't like being transgender but luckily those bad days are very few and on the days where i'm thinking more rationally about who i am it's like i'm thankful because this is such a unique perspective on life that not a lot of people get to embrace and get to live through and the things that i get to experience help me like for one it, i'm more of a feminist now than ever because it's like i could directly see the comparison between how i was treated before and how i was treated now and if i participate in class or like in group work like guys will automatically listen to me when before people like that would have shut me down so it's definitely yeah. it's interesting and it's it's another important part is that this is power that's given to me in society and it's important for me to use it in a way that's constructive and that helps elevate the voices of those who don't have the power because I just got this for the fact that I look like a guy now, right? But hmm. for other people, that's not the case. Yeah, that's powerful. I've actually been reflecting myself on, um, like mostly like literally just over the holidays of the weight that I sometimes feel like I have to put on myself because I've had my eyes open more and more to just the oppression. And again, like the way I keep calling it toxic masculinity. There's a whole talk where you can even try to break that down, but that's a whole other conversation. But the way that that presents itself in the world that I feel like so many of my interactions of trying to be a conscious man 
um, it feels like sometimes there's the weight on my shoulders of all men like, okay, just, you know, watch the way that you, you know, have this conversation, approach this conversation, you know, all this kind of stuff. And I think, you know, I guess this is my little piece for you hearing that is just keeping in mind that it's great when you can feel like, yes, I'm here to be able to make, you know, a difference, but making sure that you also don't feel like you are solely responsible for changing, you know, trying to push this giant boulder that so many of us um, have been trying to push for quite some time. But uh, I can definitely appreciate that that uh, perspective shift. And it's it's fascinating to me. Um, one of the other things I was wanted to kind of have in this segment was to talk about, I guess, let's call it like do's and don'ts or polite questions and impolite questions and stuff, because um, even knowing you from like the gym and like we had seen each other at the climbing gym a few times. I think we were working on like handstands at one point together or something like that. Yep. There's still because there's so much ignorance and so little information out there. I at first didn't know how to approach you. Like I waited until obviously there was no one else around because I wasn't sure how open you were to talking about it and kind of approached you hesitantly. But like when it comes to asking about pronouns and like these kinds of things, like what is generally, and I know it's different for every single person, but what's generally seen as like polite, not polite or acceptable or not acceptable? Yeah, I mean, I, I want to start off with by saying you did a really good job actually. Like I was like, I didn't even, yeah, you, you told me like you're super hesitant about it. And I was like, nope, completely fine. So thank I'm, you. Yeah. You did like a really like polite, like amazing job. Um, but yeah, I think what helps like pronouns is a pretty good question that I think a lot of people view as like, like not super invasive at all, because I guess from my, like from talking to a lot of my friends now who are like, who identify as transgender, they prefer it and like it when people ask what their pronouns are. Mm. So it's like, and I like that too, because even when I see people like put their pronouns like on a name tag or like in their email signature, for me, it shows that this is a safe space, right? This is a safe space for me to be myself. So when someone asks that, it, it doesn't, it no longer puts the onus on me to say, hey, these are my pronouns, right? And I'm kind of like wondering, oh, is this person like, are they secretly transphobic? Like, what do they think about this? But when someone else asks me, it's like, oh, like, I feel like I could be more open. And I think even you would talk to, I think it was the episode on Queer Eye that you mentioned to me with Angel, right? Yeah. It's um, episode two. But I think someone was saying on the episode, like, it's more about letting people in. So rather me coming out to you or... I'm letting you in on who I am. And that's what it feels like. So asking pronouns for me always feels nice because it's like, if someone asks me, it's like, oh, you know about this stuff. You're clearly a safe person. Right. I could, if for some reason, like had to disclose my identity, like that would be okay. So it's like, I can let you in to this part of myself. And now you know a little bit more about me, which is pretty a personal aspect for me. Um, that's definitely a good question. Um, I think many, like, I don't really mind when people ask about my medical transition. That being said, regarding certain questions, like, I don't want people asking, like, questions about what surgeries have you had, because that's very invasive, right? But if they ask, like, oh, how long have you been on testosterone? I'd be fine with that. Um, but yeah, like, asking questions about surgeries is like, I've had people part of the LGBTQ plus community ask me about that. Uh, and I would, like, if I'm comfortable, like, I would answer because of, like, a friend, but I'd be like, by the way, this is not like, I used to just say like, by the way, like, I don't think a lot of trans people are comfortable with this question, just so you know, in the future. And everyone's usually receptive when I say that. So it's very nice. But yeah, like generally it's like, 
know to ask in about surgeries for a lot of people and just I guess kind of reading off based on the person you're talking to how open they are with it like I remember you asked or you were asking me like oh can I ask about this can I ask about that and it gave me the option to say no I'm not comfortable talking about this mm -hmm. and that once again is like shifting the onus again and you're giving me you're kind of sharing the power in the conversation and you're giving me the option to say no so a good way of going of going about it is not saying oh when did you start testosterone when did this happen blah 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 it's like hey like do you mind if i ask that and that felt really i guess like comfortable for me when you were asking me personally because it's like i could have always told you no i'm not comfortable talking about this mm -hmm. and like you mentioned, even the fact that you waited till no one was around, that's also very important because there'll be like points where it's like, like a lot of people at the gym, for example, where like, that's where I met you. It's like a lot of people who have, who have been there or who know me for a while knew me prior to my medical transition, but then there'll be like newer people who you meet and they don't know that. Right. right. And it's not something that you meet when you like you, it's not something you say when you first meet someone, you just say like, oh yeah, I know, by the way, I'm this because right. And that's a huge thing I had too, because I had an issue where it's like, I don't want people telling everyone they meet that I'm transgender because, or sorry, telling everyone that they know, oh yeah, I have a friend, he's transgender. Because for me, that felt kind of weird because it's like, that's the only thing about me now. And it's kind of like, I'm like reduced to this small, small part mm -hmm. of like who I am. And my idea of who I am is more, I guess like, like there's so many parts to who I am. So it's like when people... It was like friends of mine would be like, yeah, like this is Noah. He's transgender. I'd be like, oh, that's kind of weird, you know? Yeah. Where I like to just kind of say like, this is Noah. He climbs pinks right now. <laughs> he has a really, really nice beard. <laughs> and grows a really nice beard. No, it's true because that's not the kind of stuff that we, like nobody would say, here's Jason. He's straight. Unless like I have a lot of gay friends. So if I'm like going somewhere to with them or something, they may say that. So I, you know, it saves me from some awkward conversations later. But yeah. uh, for the most part, that's not the way that people are typically going around introducing people. But there's like this, I guess there's this idea that this is, I don't know, gossip material or something, right? And people are bored with their own lives. So they just want to, you know, share that they're on the inside of some hidden information or something where, you know, um, I think it's one of the four agreements or the first of the four agreements is uh, be impeccable with your word. And part of that is, is it necessary? And I think that's a big check in here is like, is it is it necessary? Is it taking away from the experience of meeting you as a person? Does it change your sense of humor? Does it change, you know, your ability to have a conversation? No, it doesn't. So is it necessary yeah. in most settings? Probably not when they don't even know you, right? I agree. Yeah, for sure. I think that's important. Like what you said, like, is it necessary? Definitely. Like even like wherever I am, it's like, I like the idea that it's something that I can let people in on if I feel comfortable telling. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Well, Noah, I feel like that's kind of scratching the surface, but uh, I think we did a pretty good job. And, you know, if people, if people, there, there is quite a bit of information out there, right? Like, is there any I, I think it's the internet. So I don't know if we still have to warn people that there's all kinds of information, some more accurate, some more credible than others. But uh, hopefully this this helps just kind of start to break down some of the stigmas and some of the fears and all that kind of stuff. But I want to have let you have the last word if there's anything else that you want to put out there um, before we say goodbye 
today? Yeah, um, for sure. Um, about credible information, I would look to people who share power and share like the spotlight, like what you're doing with this podcast with people like me. And you're giving me the option to share my story and giving me the opportunity to talk about it. And that I really appreciate. And that's always a good idea to look for is trans people speaking about themselves and their experience mm -hmm. and what their needs are. That's very, very important as compared to someone telling you what we need. And as a, like a last word, I would just say that at the end of the day, regardless of if this is something regarding gender identity or anything, it's important to have empathy for other people and be willing to listen with an opening ear and just show the most compassion to other people in your life and other people who, who you meet, because at the end of the day, we're all connected and we're all beings and we're all part of this universe, right? And we're all here together and we may focus on the differences, but we're pretty similar and when you open your mind to hearing more walks of life and from more people, you enhance what you know about the world. And I think that's an incredible thing. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Noah. Hopefully, uh, hopefully we get out rock climbing together sometime soon. I know we're in a bit of a lockdown right now, but we shall prevail. Thank you so much. Have a fantastic evening and uh, look forward to running into you in the near future. Thank you, Jason. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Higher Potential Living Podcast. If you would like to learn more about Higher Potential Living and the services we offer, please visit www.higherpotentialliving.com. We offer different online courses, in-person courses, mindfulness and meditation retreats, and we have a variety of different coaches that are there to help you with anything that you might be going through. So please check us out. You can also help support the work we do by subscribing to this podcast anywhere you're listening. And of course, sharing it and telling your friends all about it. Thank you so much and have a great day.